Hey friends, welcome to the South Bend City Church Podcast. Jason Miller here, and before we get to this episode, we wanted to let you know that we're hiring at South Bend City Church. We're looking for a worship and arts pastor who will curate the songs, prayers, scriptures, reflections, Eucharistic practices, quiet spaces, and celebrations that help us grow in the way of Jesus, and who will lead the teams that create those expressions for both our gatherings and our podcast, which means if we get this hire done well, it'll actually up our game on the podcast that you're listening to right now. If you're interested or you know somebody who might be, go to southbendcitychurch.com jobs. You'll see the full job description and the steps that you can take to apply. Church family, uh, we hope that you're praying with us as we look for the right person to add to our team. And may grace and peace be with you. Hi, I'm Angela, one of the lay leaders slash volunteers here, and I'm so glad that you are joining me today. When I was about four years old, my paternal grandfather asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I loudly proclaimed a doctor and a cheerleader. So I spent the next 18 years of my life preparing for a career in medicine with throwing in occasional cheerleading tryouts just for fun. In other settings, I often say that I have earned my doctorate and I'm the biggest cheerleader for the nonprofit sector and God's people you'd ever want to meet. Has my life been easy? Absolutely not. Has the path been perfect? No chance. But what I have learned since the day that I was four years old is that as long as I am open and available and listen to the small still voice that continues to woo me, continues to guide me, I am on the right path, even if I can't see where I'm going, because the small, still voice has never failed me. For the past three weeks, Ryan has led us through an incredibly challenging series about how to be a good neighbor. The first week, he shared that in order to love our city and our neighbors well, we should look closer, look deeper, be flexible, and pay attention to the things that is, are getting our attention. Then he moved towards encouraging us to love our neighbors the way God does, particularly and intentionally. Last week, he walked us through practical ways to love our neighbors, including by being you, finding people who don't do what you do, being vulnerable, asking for help, and being open to everyone. As we close this series out, I'm going to talk about how we can love our neighbors well by listening to the voice inside and paying attention to the story our lives may tell. Not unlike young Angela, each of you has a story, and I want us to unpack how our experiences, passions, and stories have positioned us to act in service for others in, even in this very season. How, if we're honest and think back over our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, most of it probably didn't make sense at the time. But when we step back and get a 30,000 foot perspective on our lives, there's a clear pattern in presence, wooing us lovingly to action. Dr. Howard Thurman, civil rights leader, theologian, and mentor to Dr. King, calls this wooing the sound of the genuine. There is something in every one of you that waits. 
you are the um you are the only you that has ever lived the sound of the genuine is flowing through you in church speak we call the sound of the genuine the holy spirit whispering calling wooing us to pay attention but it's also the story of your life you are the only you that has ever lived your story your background your joy and yes even your heartbreak are all speaking the question is are you paying attention Today, we're gonna look at what it means to listen to the sound of the genuine that our stories reveal. We'll also look at what might hinder us from hearing the sound of the genuine and ways we can overcome these hindrances. I'd like to tell you another story about a young woman who listened to the sound of the genuine and responded to the calling of the spirit despite the potential obstacles she was facing. Theologians frankly don't know what to do with her story or why it's even included, included in the Bible to begin with. There is no overt mention of God in her story, only implications that God is moving behind the scenes. Like young Angela, she was smart and beautiful and unsure about her place in the world. Unlike young Angela, however, she was an orphan in an occupied land with only her cousin Mordecai to guide her. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm talking about the Old Testament figure, Esther. We pick up Esther's story in Esther 4. At this point in her life, Esther has become queen, having gone through what could best be described as Persia's next top queen, after the former queen, Vashti, had been punished by her mercurial husband because she refused to come when he summoned her. He punished her for not coming by banishing her, which is exactly what she wanted in the first place. But that's another teaching for another day. When we pick up the story in chapter four, we see where Mordecai has uncovered a plot to kill all the Jews. Esther 4.1 reads, when Mordecai learned what had been done, he tore his clothes, dressed in mourning clothes, and put ashes on his head. Then he went out into the city and cried out bitterly and loudly. Verse two, he went only as far as the king's gate because it was against the law for anyone to pass through it wearing mourning clothes. Mordecai's response to the crisis that has been set in motion was to bring the problem to the attention of Esther, the one person he knows can do something about it. Hearing that her cousin was at the gate distressed, Esther sends messengers to find out what's going on, but she gets more than she bargained for. Verse eight, he also gave Hathak a copy of the law made public in Susa concerning the Jews, destruction, so that Hathak could show it to Esther and report it to her. Through him, Mordecai ordered her to go to the king to seek his kindness and his help for her people. Esther hears Mordecai's request and responds in verse 11, 
all the king's officials and the people in his provinces know there's a single law in a case like this. Any man or woman who comes to the king in the inner courtyard without being called is to be put to death. Only the person to whom the king holds out the gold scepter may live. In my case, I haven't been called to the come to the king for the past 30 days. This is a turning point in the story. Not only is it the first time in the text that we actually hear Esther speak, but in this moment, she stops being Mordecai's protege and becomes the star of her own life. Esther's reaction to Mordecai's demands is not, is not cowardice, but simply a statement of fact. If she goes to the king unsummoned, chances are good that she will die. Besides, how much influence does she really have if he has not wished to see her for 30 days? The servants take her message back to Mordecai and he responds in verses 13 and 14, do not think for one minute Unlike all the other Jews, you'll come out of this alive simply because you are in the palace. In fact, if you do not speak up in this very important moment, relief and rescue will appear for the Jews from another place, but you and all your family will die. But who knows? Maybe it was for a moment like this that you came to be part of the royal family. Another translation of the phrase, maybe it was for a moment like this, is simply for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Both Mordecai, when Mordecai and Esther look over their lives, they come to the realization that it is all led up to this. The sound of the genuine in Esther's life has brought her here. All she has been through up to this point has uniquely positioned her to act. Will she ignore it or will she, in the words of the psalmist Lin-Manuel Miranda, not throw away her shot? Turns out, she doesn't throw away her shot, and demonstrating uncommon bravery, develops a plan, resolves to execute this potentially life-threatening scenario, and concludes her strategy with, if I perish, I perish. Through a series of events, including a few good dinner parties, Esther goes before her king, reveals the plot, and the king takes decisive action. If you have time this week, friends, I would encourage you to read all of Esther. It's a pretty short book with lots of twists and turns. How many of us can hear some of our own story in Esther's life? We find ourselves in a situation where we alone, because of our background and experiences, are uniquely qualified to act. Esther's journey positioned her to be in the right place at the right time to both listen to the sound of the genuine and listen to the story of her life. And let's face it, she could have easily ignored Mordecai's pleas 
and dismiss the poetry of for such a time as this as the ramblings of someone from her former life. But instead, she stopped and she listened. While I don't know all of your stories, I'm guessing your life is probably not calling you to defend a nation. But is it encouraging you to become an advocate for foster youth or to serve uh, meals at a food bank? Perhaps the past 16 months have revealed that where you are professionally is not where you're supposed to be. Maybe this is a season of pruning unhealthy relationships or unproductive time wasters. Some of you may have realized that in this last season, your most cherished relationships have suffered because you've lost sight of what's important. Maybe you just need to show up for you more. There are any number of ways where we can use our time, our talent, and our treasure to improve the world around us. I would encourage you, friends, to pause and listen to the sound of the genuine for it will never fail you. What keeps you up at night? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that you know that you know that you know that you know that you are uniquely called to do? The sound of the genuine is speaking. Are you listening? Thus far in your life, what has stopped you from listening and responding to the sound of the genuine. For me, and I would suspect for many of you, it has been one of three things, or a combination of all three. Trauma, fear, and exhaustion. I know without a doubt one of the many reasons why I have often missed and resisted the sound of the genuine is because of unresolved trauma which for me shows up as church hurt. For those of you who are also dealing with church hurt, can I tell you something? You are not alone. In fact, many of the folks in this church often deal with it too. A few years ago, I was sitting in the back of one of our gatherings when I was asked via text if I would consider coordinating communion. I immediately sent an emotionally charged text to my best friend, filled with all sorts of church baggage and church inadequacy and not enoughness. You see, growing up, the people who handled communion at my faith church, faith congregation, often had a very public appearance of living extra holy lives. And trust and believe, that's not my story except I didn't send the text to my best friend, but instead sent it as a reply to the person on staff who had sent the original ask, and then spent the rest of the service and part of the following service trying to unpack the church hurt that I thought I had worked through, but clearly hadn't. I almost missed the sound of the genuine because I was letting past trauma block what was right in front of me. Similarly, 
Many of you may be dealing with wounds or pains that may be church baggage or unresolved childhood trauma or trauma revealed or induced by the global grounding. Whatever the trauma might be, rather than addressing it, we run from it or we become our own worst critic, constantly replaying the negative scripts that we may have heard at some point in our lives. If that's you, friend, I would encourage you to talk to someone, whether it's a trusted friend, a life coach, or a counselor, in order to get the help that you need to resolve whatever internally is holding you back. Which leads me to the second thing that might be holding you back from listening to the sound of the genuine, fear. How fear shows up for me is that I will tune out, deceiving myself into thinking I'm not hearing what I know I'm hearing or not being and not seeing what I know I'm seeing. To combat this, theologian Dr. Melva Sampson reminds us that everything we need is in two places, within our hearts and within our communities. Within our hearts beats the sound of the genuine. We also need people who will surround us and push us towards where the sound of the genuine is calling you. People whose voices you trust who are loud enough to overcome the feedback that the internal committee is providing because the village is undefeated. We all need a village that will push us to become the best versions of ourselves. People who will encourage you to do the scary thing that the sound of the genuine is calling you to. Like one day, you agree to meet someone for a chai tea latte, and the next thing you know, you are standing here talking to all of you. But because your friend knows all of your experiences, the great and the not so great have uniquely positioned you for such a time as this, you say yes, and you keep saying yes even if it means occasionally climbing to the top of the Morris Theater at sunrise. Mordecai was that person for Esther. Who is that person for you? Not only do we need a village cheering us on, but so do our kiddos. As an aside, if your family is emotionally or physically distant and your babies need someone to cheer wildly for them, Call me. I don't care if it's a swim meet, a cross country tournament, a ballet recital, or a speech tournament. Call me. I'm your girl. Last thing. Remember how I said that there were three things that could hinder us from hearing the voice of the genuine? Trauma, fear, and a third one. Exhaustion. Thurman said it like this. Don't be deceived and thrown off by all of the noises that you don't hear the sound of the genuine in you. Sometimes we're just too tired and stretched too thin to be able to hear the sound of the genuine. 
As the events of summer 2020 were unfolding, some of us were momentarily awakened to what is really going on, but just as quickly became overwhelmed by the sheer enormity of the challenges that lie ahead and just gave up. The late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We often skip over the long in that sentence and aren't prepared for the long haul. Others of us are at the other end of the justice warrior continuum. We've been fighting all our little lives. And we are, as the late great Fannie Lou Hamer once said, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Wherever you are on this journey, I would encourage you to rest, but don't quit. Just as I am encouraging you to listen to the sound of the genuine and listen to your story, I'm also encouraging you to listen to your body. Theologian Tr Trisha Hersey, affectionately known on social media as the Nap Bishop, recently said, exhaustion will not create liberation. You are exhausted physically and spiritually because the pace created by this system is for machines and not a magical and divine human being. You are enough. Rest. Scripture is filled with stories where God guides God's people towards rest. In 1 Kings 19, 4 through 5, we encounter the private Eli prophet Elijah, who has just had a no good, awful, very bad day. He himself went farther on into the desert a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him on and said, get up, eat something. Sometimes friends, we really just need a nap and a Snickers bar. One of our own mantras, fields not factories, is an acknowledgement that we are not machines and not meant to spend so much time doing that we neglect just being. You cannot do the work of loving your neighbor well if you're not loving yourself at all. I know it's been a while for many of us, but what's the last thing the flight attendant says before takeoff? Put your own mask on first before you assist others. The late Rachel Held Evans once said, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry and because they said yes. 
and there's always room for more. Friends, we are a people who say yes and keep saying yes to where the sound of the genuine is wooing us, using our stories, our experiences, and our passions to make room for others at the table. For we know that no matter how scary the sound may seem, we are surrounded by the village and the village is undefeated. We are so in tune with the sound of the genuine that we move when we need to and rest as we should, knowing our village will step in and carry the cause of loving our neighbors forward. Before I wrap up, I would like to give you a moment because I suspect that for many of you, the sound of the genuine is already speaking to you. There have been things that I have shared that have sparked moments of reflection where you can see where your story was trying to speak, but you were too afraid or moving too fast to pay attention. So let's pause, close our eyes, get comfortable, take a breath, and ask ourselves, what am I hearing right now? Am I being wooed into something even now? So this week, friends, may you hear God speaking through the sound of the genuine, wooing you ever onward. May you be surrounded by those who cheer wildly for you as you lean into that calling. May the love of God watch over you. May the peace of Christ fill your heart. May the presence of the Holy Spirit fill your sleep and speak in your dreams. May you always feel seen, safe, and known. And may your families be well. I ask this in the name the, of, the, of the one whom the ancestors called wonderful. And may grace and peace be with you. <laughs>